Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. The sermon that you are about to listen to is from our series, Back to School. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Praise you, Lord. Dangerous song to sing, friends. And I couldn't help but think we sang that song several weeks ago. You take whatever you desire, Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried by fire. And a few weeks ago, many of you, you sang that song. And then over the last couple weeks, the Lord's been answering your prayer and you're upset. You're upset. You're like, oh, Lord, why this hard thing in my marriage? Or why aren't you relieving this thing with my children? God, why are these circumstances in my finances, in my health still going on? And it it hurts and it's hard. And I have this picture of our Heavenly Father saying, well, you sang this song to me. You said, take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. So I looked around the room and I saw many of you raising your hands and... So if God answers your prayer and continues to answer that prayer, can we not pray away the answer to the prayer that we first prayed? What is God currently doing in your life that you are praying away, but it's actually an answer to a prayer that you've prayed previously? Lord, here's my life. Take whatever you desire. And now we're all mad because he's doing it. So turn to your neighbor and say, thank the Lord for refiner's fire. Thank the Lord for refiner's fire. And just in case he does a little bit more of that tonight, you asked for it. You sang. And so anyways, that was, that was for free, I guess. Um, before we jump into the message tonight, back to school, four life lessons everyone needs to learn. As I continue to... Um, allow you to know me and who I am, uh, just so we can know each other a little bit more, uh, you got to know, uh, this whole back to school thing, it, it actually, I don't know, it lands on my heart in a different way, because the last job that I had before I went into vocational ministry, pursued this whole pastor thing, I was, believe it or not, an algebra teacher. An algebra teacher, and every, whoa, I just didn't see that coming. Uh, an algebra teacher, algebra one, algebra two, uh, solving for X just brings me great joy. <laughs> Boxing that answer at the very end. Any other math nerds in the house? Any other math nerds watching online? Come on, put it in the comments. I love algebra. So, I love to teach, and uh, I just want to throw this up on the screen. This is just for fun here. Does anyone know what this is? That's it, the quadratic formula used to serve quadratic equations. And I love teaching this, and uh, we would teach it by song. 
And I don't know what in the world uh, is actually you use this for like in real life. And I'll tell you, it's, it's nothing, nothing in real life. But just once again, to give you a gift that you didn't ask for, I'm going to teach you how to memorize this. Who's ready to be taught how to memorize this? Someone say amen. amen. Okay, step forward for this. Are you ready? Here it is. X equals negative B plus or minus square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Didn't see. So uh, anyway, so that's that. So when you teach, you teach by song. That, that helps students to remember things. And then you would also teach by review. You would repeat what you've said before. And so with that said, before we get into lesson number four, uh, there's been some great lessons that we've learned thus far in this Back to School series. So I want to review them for you very quickly because I know most of you have forgot these lessons. Lesson number one. What did we learn several weeks ago through the story of the prodigal son? Everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. Everyone must be saved. People who are like the younger brother and do it their own way. People who are like the older brother and they try to save themselves through right works. Everyone must be saved by the grace of God. Pastor Scott came the next week and taught us lesson number two, which was everyone is building their life on something when the storms of life come, the only secure and stable foundation is God's word. What are you building your life on? Are you building your life on the news? Come on, somebody. Or are you building your life on the foundation of God's word? And then last week, such a great message by Pastor Brian. Everyone needs to know the freedom of identity. When we know who we are in Christ, we are free from people-pleasing I love what he had to say about how God is big and people are small. And if God is big and people are small, we shouldn't allow the small opinions of small people. That's not a value judgment. That's just put up next to God. It's his opinion of us that should matter most. And before we get into the next parable, because and I think this just happens in church, especially a great church like Hope Church. So much great teaching week after week. You know, the purpose of Bible teaching isn't to get through sermons, to get through books of the Bible. It's so that something would get through you. Yes or yes. That you would attend these services and by listening to the word of God, you wouldn't just be able to recite the lessons and say, wow, that was some good stuff. But that something in God's word would transform you. And so maybe before we jump into lesson number four, you would just think, okay, over these last three weeks, I've sat, I've taken some notes, I've said amen, I've gone up for prayer. Which of these lessons should I be allowing myself to be transformed by? This idea of everyone must be saved. Everyone is building their life on something. Everyone has an identity. That identity should be in Christ. Which one of those three thus far do you maybe need to marinate on and sit with for a little bit? Now, those three lessons, by and large, have been lessons about uh, we'll call them vertical lessons. 
Lessons that have to do primarily with you and your relationship with God. They do have some horizontal implications, but by and large, they are vertical lessons having to do with you and God. Today's lesson, just to prepare you, is going to be primarily a lesson that has to do with how we respond and live with one another. Because how many of you would agree for us to love the Lord and have this great relationship with the Lord and learn these lessons about our relationship with the Lord, but for it not to impact how we treat others, that'd be a tragedy. Someone say amen. And sometimes that happens. And so towards the end of making sure we have both the vertical relationship with the horizontal implications, we are going to look at uh, a parable known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Once again, I feel it in the room, kind of like the prodigal son. You're thinking to yourself, oh, I know that one already. Turn to your neighbor. Say, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. I believe God can show us some new things through his word. It's in Luke 10. 10, I believe, 25 to 37 or something like that. And so let's jump into this fake story. Remember, parables are fake story, fictional stories with deep spiritual truths There's a little bit of context. How did Jesus jump into the story? But whether you are watching online with us this weekend or you are in the room, if you are ready for the reading of God's word, if you're ready for lesson number four of life lessons everyone needs to learn, can I get a hearty, hearty, I'm ready? ready. Here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. This is not the parable yet. This is an actual event taking place. He puts Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers, you have answered correctly. Do this. Love me with your heart, soul, mind, strength. And you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? He asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And it's after he asked that question that Jesus tells the fictional story. And here we go. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he, Jericho, Jerusalem (laughs) to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Everyone say, boo The priest passed by. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Everyone say, boo But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two bucks and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus finishes the story. And then he asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
Go, you go and do likewise. Now, um, maybe some of you, that's the first time you've heard this story. You're new to Bible study. You've maybe heard the term the Good Samaritan, but you didn't know that this is where it's coming from. And so for those of you new to Bible study, let me just give you a quick summary of the parable. Number one, a dude is beaten up and robbed. Number two, two separate religious dudes pass by and ignore him. And then number three, one unexpected dude helps him. That's what's happening in this parable. So the question is, what is the deep spiritual truth that Jesus was looking to teach this lawyer through this story? And so here's the tension question I want to create and wrestle with today. And I believe this story teaches us very clearly. It's simply this. How can we become more merciful neighbors? That's what we're talking about tonight. How can you and I become better, more merciful neighbors? Now, maybe as you sit here, you're not interested in that question. So for the next few moments, I'm just going to do my best to get you interested in this question. Here's the first reason why me, as a preacher guy, I personally am interested in this question. Three burdens. Number one, being an uninterested neighbor as opposed to a merciful neighbor comes so naturally to me. No one would want to amen that and help me out there. Am I the only one that when I go home, I would rather like not even look to my left or my right, hope none of my neighbors are outside so that I could just go unbothered into my house. No unnecessary conversations, no small talk. I am, and I know some of you are judging me right now. I can feel it. I can feel it. You're like, how they hire you around here, bro? Like, and I'm just telling you, they hire, maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't ask me this, how are you as a neighbor? But if they would have, I would say, I'm a pretty selfish person. And on most days, uh, being a merciful neighbor is not something I'm looking to do. And that's why the question, how can we become more merciful, is worth exploring. How many of you would say amen to that? Here's a second reason that I think applies to so many of us. As stress inside of our homes becomes more of a reality... Mercy for those outside of our homes becomes less of a priority. How many of you would agree with that? Through these last 16, 18 months, as the world outside has become so stressful, and as, that stresses, and as those stresses from the outside have encroached upon marriages, family relationships, physical sickness, how many of you would say it's been very easy to become more interested in what's going on in my home than what's going on with the neighbor next to me. I just don't have the margin to be a merciful neighbor because all of my emotional energy is with my home and my problems. How many of you would say, yeah, that, that's real? But how many of you would also agree, because some would say, oh, this is just the season. How many of you know it's never convenient to love your neighbor? When is it convenient to come outside of your own problems and look at other people's problems? You would say, oh, the kids are small right now, or we're just in this rough patch as a marriage, but after the kids are small, then they're not so small, and then they're teens, and then, oh, we got to prepare for college, and there's always something. 
final burden is this, final reason why I hope you lean in. As a church, there's a natural drift to care most for those we see. And by default, neglect caring for those we don't see. Amen. Wouldn't you agree? I got one brother here. He, he agrees with me. So, so grateful. <laughs> it is so easy. Because you, hear, you are here, because you walk through the doors, because you come to groups and you're engaged, we want to serve you and, and make sure you're taken care of. It can be very easy as a church. I'm not saying Hope Church, but in general... As we pastored there in Oakland, definitely easy to drift towards the insider, the person already connected to the body of Christ. So here's my outline. Let's get into it. How are we going to get to the answer? How can we become a more merciful neighbor? Four things. We're going to look at the wrong question. We're going to jump into this text and we're going to look at a question that the lawyer asked that we actually shouldn't ask at the end of the day. Then we're going to look at the right question. It's the question that Jesus asks following the parable. Then we're going to look at the best answer. And when we get to that section, that's where we're going to pull out the principles from the parable. And hopefully you know by now, the end is my favorite. We're going to talk about the greatest Samaritan. We're going to warm our hearts to respond and worship. We're going to warm our hearts to respond and praise. But let's jump into the wrong question. If we want to get to the end of becoming a more merciful neighbor, what question shouldn't we be asking? Well, let's look at it here in the text. First of all, we have this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, keep in mind, the lawyer, it says, he stood up to put Jesus to the test. So he's wanting in some way, to trap Jesus, to see if Jesus will answer it right. And so I just, let me just say for the record, it's probably never a good idea to do that, to put Jesus to the test with our questions. But anyways, he does it. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? I love Jesus answering a question with a question. That's the pro's pro there as a teacher. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he gives them the whole, what's called the Shema, in the Old Testament there, the, the Israelites would grow up learning this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The lawyer, he didn't just know like the law of that day. He knew the, the royal law. He knew the law of the scriptures, and that's what he recites. But that's not necessarily the bad question, the question you shouldn't ask. It's his second question. And so Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But here's the wrong question that the lawyer asked that we shouldn't ask. And we know it because look, it said, desiring to justify himself. It's in blue. It's in blue. Remember, blue is important to me. Desiring to justify himself. Desiring to be made right in the eyes of Jesus Desiring to be made right in front of the crowds that were gathered listening to this interaction. Desiring to be made right just in his own eyes. What does he ask? Who is my neighbor? If it's all about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor is what the lawyer asks. Now, a couple commentaries 
to help us understand why this maybe isn't the best question that we should ask ourselves. Well, who is my neighbor? When the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself, well, who, who does that mean? Tony Evans, he says it this way. The question implied, who is my neighbor, that he had no objective way to determine whom he should be loving. His assumption was that some people didn't qualify to be his neighbor and were therefore undeserving of his love. So he wanted to know how Jesus would define a neighbor. Are you catching on to the question beneath the question? It's not just who is my neighbor, it's who don't I have to love. Kind of reminds me of Peter a little bit, right? When uh, Jesus says, forgive, and what does Peter say? How many times do you have to forgive? How many times? Kent Hughes, another commentator on the scripture, he says it this way. His response itself was deeply telling. He obviously had been thinking about the breath that is implicit in the demand to love others as oneself. Certainly it must be restricted to Israel, people who were like the lawyer, and even further to those who are of character. We can't love everyone. Where do you draw the line? And if we're being honest, as we are on this road, many of you followers of Jesus Christ who love your neighbor, haven't you at some point or another thought to yourself, but where do you draw the line? You can't love everyone all the time, do you? So these commentators put it the way they do, and I just want to sum up this section here under the wrong question this way. The question, who is my neighbor, revealed the lawyer's spiritual immaturity evidenced by his minimum mentality. And so I just want us to sit with that for just a moment. When it comes not only to just loving our neighbor, but to our faith in general, do we have a minimum mentality? Do we interact with God in such a way that by and large, we're just looking to find the least amount that we have to do to be okay? Come on. Do I have to tithe off the gross or the net? Come on, explain it to me. Gross or the net? How many times do I have to forgive? Surely, surely, if they identify sexually that way, I don't have to love them, do I? Surely, 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 if they approach the scriptures and they sing those types of songs from those types of groups or they listen to that type of music, surely, 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 that's the boundary to which I have to love. Surely, after I've discipled them for one year and they haven't made changes, surely, surely, surely I cut them off. Surely we've been serving this community for so long and they haven't fixed themselves up. Lord, what's the minimum? When, when can I quit on people? <laughs> and the lawyer, in asking who is my neighbor, we got to see beneath it all, he was looking for his outs. And church family, if we're going to become the type of merciful neighbor that God would have us to become, we have to put out of our minds to start a minimum mentality. I mean, because you, as a neighbor to someone else, let's just turn it around. You know, you're someone else's neighbor, yeah or yeah? Yeah, right? Do you want your neighbors to have a minimum mentality with how they love you? 
Oh, yeah, are we still here? Yeah, no, say no. Say the answer was no. You're supposed to say no. No. Okay, let's go on to the second part of the outline. You guys are falling asleep. Let's keep it moving. The right question. Okay, Ed, okay, fine. Don't ask, don't ask. It's a bad question. Who is my neighbor? What's the right question? Well, keep in mind, Jesus responds to his question, who is my neighbor, by telling this parable. And you would think by telling this parable, he is going to reveal in the parable who your neighbor is, right? Are you guys tracking with me? If he asks the question, who is my neighbor, what Jesus is going to do is tell a parable that answers the question of who is the Samaritans, oh, I'm sorry, who is the lawyer's neighbor? But he doesn't do that. He finishes the parable, and then he asks another question. Oh, this Jesus guy, how difficult is he? So let's take a look at this. He tells the whole parable. One guy gets beat up. The religious dudes pass him by. The unexpected Samaritan dude helps him. And when he finishes it all, he says this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer wanted to know, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the question, who is the good neighbor? You catching the nuance there? Jesus did not answer his question by saying, the hurt man on the side of the road, that's your neighbor. Isn't that what we think he should have said? Who is my neighbor? Oh, I tell this story, and then Jesus says, so yeah, you know the guy who was on the ground? That's your neighbor, guys who are on the ground. But he doesn't do that. It's very telling that Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's the point I want to make. Instead of saying, who is my neighbor, we should be asking, do I embody the characteristics of a merciful neighbor? See, Jesus is not going to even entertain his minimum mentality. Because maybe if he said, oh, it's the guy who's hurt on the road, then the lawyer says, oh, so then I'm only supposed to help guys who are hurt on the road. So he doesn't answer his correct uh, question directly. Instead, he just says, who was the neighbor, be like him. I think that's a clue that we should be asking ourselves, do we embody the characteristics of a good neighbor? We shouldn't be asking, so who should I love, who shouldn't I love? Are you guys with me so far? If you're okay, say, I'm okay. Okay, so what does Jesus do after telling the parable, closing it up? He says this, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. And Pastor Tom, once again, so gracious in helping with the Greek. This, this whole you go and do likewise, it's not just, you know, go one time and serve somewhere. It's be this type of person who sacrifices for their neighbor in this type of way all the time. This is how you should live. It's not just what you do every now and then. Check the box, merciful neighbor. It's a way to live. So now we ask ourselves, okay, don't say who's my neighbor. That's minimum mentality. I should ask how should I be a neighbor? How do I embody the characteristics of a good neighbor? So now, what does that look like? 
And that's what we see in the parable. We see what the characteristics of a merciful neighbor look like. So as we continue on in the outline, rounding third base here, the best answer, what I'm going to share with you now is just three characteristics of this Samaritan. Three characteristics that if we're going to be a merciful neighbor, we're probably going to have to take on some of these characteristics. Why? Because Jesus said it straight on. Go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. So what do we see first? Let's jump into the text. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What we see first in the Samaritan is we see a man who allowed himself to be moved emotionally by what he saw. He sacrificed emotion. See, the religious guys, the priest who knew the law inside and out, it says he saw. They all saw the guy. But the priest saw, and what did he do? He kept moving on. It says the, the Levite, he saw, and, and he actually went over to him. This is cold-blooded. This is cold-blooded. He sees him. He, he's like, ooh, that looks bad. Ah, just going to go. But the Samaritan, he saw and he had compassion. I remember prodigal son, we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's the same Greek word, the only one I've memorized. Splagnizomai, moved to the bowels with compassion. He saw and he sacrificed some emotion. To which I would ask, when is the last time, friends, you allowed the hurt in the world to actually move you emotionally? When is the last time you've been moved emotionally by someone's pain other than your own? When's the last time we sing the song, or we used to sing the song back in the day, break my heart for what breaks yours? But I think if we're being honest, we are most brokenhearted about how our hearts are brokenhearted. Sitting in a meeting with the, uh, the sending and mobilization team who are the ones overseeing our strategy to reach Las Vegas, the West, and the world, and such a beautiful team of folks. And we're sitting there, and uh, Jenny Bland, how many of you are thankful for Jenny Bland and what she does at the Love Well? Well, it was raining that day, and it was crazy because I'm just thinking about how it's raining that day, and she's thinking about all those men and women who don't have homes here in Vegas who are being negatively impacted by this rain, and this rain is flipping their living situation inside out. And she began to tear up around the table, just, oh, I'm just thinking about my guys, and I just had so much conviction, like, didn't even cross my mind. When's the last time, friend? Towards this end of being a merciful neighbor, it starts with not only seeing, because the priest and the Levite saw, 
We see the homeless people. We see the troubled child. We see the need. But, but do we have any capacity? Do we leave any room to be moved emotionally in the bowels? I think before anything else, it's, it starts with that. Number two, there was a physical sacrifice. Look at all these verbs here. This just seems like a lot, if I'm just being honest. This is a lot. He went. I could maybe went. You know, I could went. This guy went. He poured. He set. He brought. He took care. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot. I can went. And, and I just, and I, let me just say, some of you, and, I, and I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but just some of these are going to be easier for you than others. And I, I just got to tell you, this is the hardest one for me. I could be moved emotionally because I'm like an emotional guy, and so I just get emotional about a lot of things. Now, some of you, though, you'll do the physical thing, but there's no emotion tied to it. And so there's this holistic approach to being a merciful neighbor. But if I'm being honest, this one's the most difficult for me. And when I look at this one, what I see is a man who is allowing himself to be inconvenienced. And how many of you would agree that at the end of the day, we don't want to be inconvenienced? And that's what makes this so difficult. I, this is an interruption in my schedule. My Apple iCal didn't have this in there, and you're messing with my agenda. Lastly, i got to finish this here. Sacrifice financially, and the next day he took out two denarii. This would be equal to two days' wages. 20 bucks an hour, eight hours a day, 160 bucks times two, $320, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back, a financial sacrifice. How many of you, if, you, if I had to look at your transaction record, uh-oh, that there are any line items that are marked loving my neighbor in some sort of way? And so once again, I, if I'm being honest, this one isn't so hard for me. To me, I, I just, yeah, I'll throw some money at it. But that went thing. What's it for you? When you look at those three things, what, what do you need to lean more into? An emotional sacrifice, a financial sacrifice, a physical sacrifice. Here's lesson number four. Sum it all up. Everyone, through emotional, physical, and financial sacrifice, should be a merciful neighbor. Emotional Physical, financial sacrifice. That's the message. Now, some application points, and then we're going to look at the greatest Samaritan. Number one, I think today, um, as believers in Jesus, there's a lot of us here who, who may need to repent, who may need to have an honest moment of, oh, my goodness, since this whole COVID thing, or man, for the last five years, I really, by and large, don't ever sacrifice emotionally, physically, or financially for anyone. And the Lord loves you enough to bring you here today to say, that's not okay. 
So I think hopefully, but when we close today, there could be some corporate repentance. Number two, I want to publicly honor our Hope Hub family. We have a team of people who literally are paving the roads so that we can actually love our neighbor without having to do the the heavy lifting of creating systems to love our neighbor. We have people that are doing that for us here at Hope. How many of you are thankful for our ministry of the hub to Las Vegas? So by name, I just want to read them off to you, and you need to, if you see them, if you know them, thank them, Cassie, Kat, Paige, Brittany, Carly, Donna, Cindy, Janice, Jackie, Rosie, Jenny, Christina, Crystal, Melissa, and two fellas. Come on, somebody. Gene and Brian Bland. Let's give it up for them and what they do and for how they serve. What? A blessing, what a blessing. And there are opportunities. Once again, not one-time opportunities, but I do want to just, man, there are motel outreaches that you can go and you can love the most vulnerable. Park outreaches. There's a resource closet called Hannah's Closet. These are ways that you can serve without even any of the training. There is a training October 9th. You may want to make that note. So that you could serve in a, in a more intentional way. That's October 9th. But some of you, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like you need to do something about this this week. And a practical step is just the email address, serve at the hublv.com. Serve at the hublv.com. And they can get you the information you need to get plugged into something. But let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word. And it's not only a corporate response. It's not just a corporate response of get involved at the hub. It's a personal response. Finally, number four, like love your next door neighbor. I just moved here. I just moved. This is, this is just shame on me. I, I moved here. And I, I met my next door neighbor because I saw them outside, but there's just no intention. There's no desire. They're, and they're all there. They're there. I got a bunch of neighbors. Live in an apartment complex, and there's a bunch of neighbors. And I'm just like, yep, straight to the house. Thank you very much. And maybe as you see these four, which, which is God leading you to do? Now, lest, lest. Let's talk about the greatest Samaritan. Lest we leave this place today thinking that the good news of Jesus Christ is love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, that is how you're saved. Because we cannot ever get it confused, church family. And it's easy to do this. That the implications of the gospel... What you do because of the good news, what you do because of the good news is not the good news. The good news of Christianity isn't love your neighbor. The good news of Christianity is we have the perfect neighbor in Jesus who has first perfectly loved us. The greatest Samaritan. You see, in that day, the Samaritan was the other, a non-Jew. There was some inbreeding going on, and so they were looked at, oh, you are the other. 
So for Jesus to make Samaritan the model neighbor, that was messing with their categories a little bit. And how many of you know there was a great other in Jesus? Not like us in any way, shape, or form. And how many of you would agree he sacrificed emotionally? Let's look at it. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus. What did he, the same splagdizomai, the same compassion moved. But how many of you are thankful that our Jesus wasn't just moved emotionally, but he was moved physically as well? And don't, this is not just the gospel close like, yeah, Jesus did it for us. No, no, come on, stop, 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 stop. Jesus, the king of the universe, sacrificed his emotions. He was busy during this whole thing. He was doing miracles, but he stopped, he saw, and was moved, and ultimately he did something physical about it. He bore his cross, crucified him, Crown of thorns crushed onto his head. Nails pounded into his wrists and his feet. Physical sacrifice. And some of you, you're here today and you wonder, does God love me? Does God see me? Does he know what I'm going through in my home situation? Does he know what I'm going through with my health? And I would say, look at Jesus being moved emotionally, being moved physically to the point of death. And financially, the scripture says it this way, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, sitting at the right hand of God, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich, so that everything that is Jesus's in relationship to God that one day that will be ours. We inherit that love from the Lord. We inherit that grace from God. And I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. The thing that I don't want on your mind as you leave this place is be a good neighbor, be a good neighbor, because that's only going to last so long. But if you leave this place being more assured of the fact that you are infinitely loved by the infinite God of the universe as displayed through his son, Jesus Christ, let me tell you, when that hits you anew, you won't be able to do anything less than go and do likewise. See, we're not loving as we should love because we don't realize we're as loved as we are. We are the busted dude on the side of the road. Someone say amen. And at some point in your lifetime, God looked upon you and had compassion. Do you remember that moment where your eyes were opened up to his grace? And he saved you. And he put you on his donkey. And he put you in his car. And he took you to the inn. And maybe that inn was Hope Church. And you got healed. And you got bounded up. And now, friends, we got to go and do likewise. Imagine this community of faith, revolving door, coming in, getting healed, healing others, coming in, getting healed, going out to heal others. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, help us, help us, help us by the power of your spirit. Firstly, God, help us to see you anew, your 
Emotional, physical, financial sacrifice for us. Help us to see that. And out of the overflow of that, to love others, to love others. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this word. Seal it in our hearts in only the way that you can. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. We're going to close our time tonight by singing about the goodness of our God. And uh, this is the most important time of, of this gathering. It's where you respond to what you've just heard. So this front area is going to be open. This altar is going to be open for you to come. Maybe some of you, as an act of humility, you need to come. Even in the cheap seats. Come on, somebody. I know it's a long walk. But some of you need to, as an act of humility, walk down here and say, Lord, forgive me for my indifference. Forgive me and receive the grace of God here today. Pastors are going to be here ready to pray for you. Maybe some of you would say, yeah, man, I have some bitterness towards my neighbor. Pray for me. Man, I don't like sacrificing physically. I don't like emotional sacrifice. Pray for me. And if you're here and you've never received the grace of Jesus, if you've never received the great Samaritan and his physical, financial, emotional sacrifice for you, man, you come up to one of us and say, I want the love of that great Samaritan. We'll walk you through that. You go see one of our guest services, folks. Maybe all of us, whether you come up or not, as we sing about the goodness of God, we remember his goodness, specifically in when we were in the ditch, how he came and he loved us in all the ways that he did. Let's respond and worship together now. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.